the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. It's Friday, August 3rd, 2018, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studios are on the ones and twos, our our illustrious producer, my brother, Chandler Strang. Hello. On the Skype line from Nashville, Tennessee, Tyler Huckabee. Hey, everybody. On Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. And still stuck in (laughs) Indianapolis, Indiana, (laughs) author, podcaster, speaker, Annie F. Downs. Good morning, gents. Well, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, Derek Miner joins us. Derek has a great new album coming out August 10th. He just released yeah. about five singles, I think, from it uh, this week. But he came yeah. in the studio a couple weeks ago and has a phenomenal conversation coming up later. He is not only a great musician and producer, but one of the um, one of the voices that you need to be listening to, uh, especially as it relates to race relations and the church and different things. He's such a thoughtful uh, guy and I don't guy. listen to him yet. Can you put him in a category for me? Like, wh- who else does he make music like? What kind of oh, no, genre? H- hip hop. I mean, cri- oh, cool. uh, yeah, yeah. He's a hip hop producer yeah. and artist. Um, he does a lot of stuff with Lecrae and Andy Mineo and all those guys. And uh, oh, beautiful. Yeah, he's he's yeah yeah he's a good one. Well, well the the other thing, but real quick, I'm kind of nervous about another segment we have coming up today because oh, I feel like yeah, we, we, today we have listener of the week coming up. And right. if, if people haven't listened to last week's, it almost was good enough to retire the segment and have a walk off. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just watch yeah. it fly of the stadium, trot around the bases, and that's it. <laughs> Game over. Lights out. Go right. home. Jesse, the funniest thing about last week's—I mean, people heard an edited version of the conversation. I mean, that's just how it yeah. is. Because you know, yeah. the, maybe sometimes the, the guest is a little nervous, and we just kind of clean it up. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. I, but listening to it, it really was. Uh, a special moment on the show. Oh, it was, uh, no for me, it, it was so unexpected because we thought I thought that we had the fact already. Yeah, you know, and then out yeah. of out of nowhere, yeah, drops the bomb. Yeah, he buried, it was he just buried, the best. He buried like five leads. Yeah, I mean, he I came, think that's he the gave secret you the, the bottom shelf. He told you the most boring things about himself, right? And exactly. then, and that was enough to get him a spot on the show. And the most boring things about himself was a, a life-threatening incident at a water park and a history of ventriloquism. At a water park <laughs> that his family owned. And, his parents and then we found owned. out that his parents owned. Oh, just, and then he tweeted the, he tweeted some photos, evidence. Yes, uh, I, I saw him too. That, yeah, he, he had pictures of, he had pictures of, well, I don't want to spoil it. And the, and the water park, the water park photos that he sent us confirmed everything that was in my head of a family yeah. owned Midwest yeah. water park. Yeah. Yeah. Crystallized. You know, yeah, I was sure, thinking about sure. the movie, this is random, but I was thinking about the movie Forrest Gump the other day and I was like, you know, the, the, it's so un- implausible that someone would have a life where they ran across the country for years, where they ran Bubba Gump Shrimp, where they were a war hero, where they were a ping pong champion, where they met the, you know, the president and took a bullet. Or what? I, all the crazy stuff that happens in Forrest Gump's life, and I'm like, you know what? Cody makes me believe in life likes Forrest Gump's can't exist mm-hmm. because he's already the guy's probably in his 20s. I don't know how old he was, but I'm, 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 I'm going with like 24, I'm 25. Yeah, maybe. I think he was like 28. 
Oh, and, and, and he's already face. lived several lifetimes of movie-worthy experiences. It's yeah, I, I, true. I, I, imagine talk, imagine circling back with that guy at like forty, and what's happened to him since then. If you know? he makes it to forty, <laughs> I, I, I want to watch the HBO movies about his life. I want to watch the aim, the sharp objects. Like I, I need to get we need Daniel Day Lewis and pull him out of retirement because mm-hmm. this guy's got this guy's got. Uh, this this guy has a narrative. I want to see yeah. the the vlog that he made for Dennis Robin. Like whatever happened to that footage? Right. You yes. know? Yeah. I have a feeling it was lost. Yeah. I have a feeling like <laughs> literally he gave it to Robin's team and it just went to the YouTube. Yeah. YouTube <laughs> pulled it down. Right. It violated okay, so, so many policies. Too shocking for Jesse. There's a good reason we didn't retire. Listener of the week after last week. What's the reason? Why didn't we retire? I mean, we got. I, I feel like that's not our style. This is called. This is called the heat check, Annie. A lot of a lot of podcasts. <laughs> what they do, they have a great segment. We're like, okay, that's great. We got to move on. Nope, we're going to see if we still got it. Yeah. Heat check time. This is us yeah. pulling up from half court and jacking up a tray. <laughs> Let's just see what happens. Okay? It's either going to be a spectacular air means, ball. I'm here. It, it's going to be a spectacular air ball, or it's nothing but that. You know what? We're not even know because our back's going to be turned towards the basket we're right. already pumping the jersey <laughs> you know, that's what's happening today okay that's what i think's gonna happen so i'm here so that was a very intricate metaphor people we're gonna need to run that back we loved cody if we thought cody was the the end of the game we'd have quit the game but we know it ain't the right. end well, the, we the, got plenty like said, more it's called a heat check we it's, got more we'll where that how, comes from how hot are we yeah i mean the, the, the reality is, is yeah the reality is is though i mean we've been doing this for several months and and we're like, oh, wow, that was really funny. That was really good. And then the next week, well, that was even better than the week before. Who knew? You know, yeah. like it, the stakes keep getting raised. And people are figuring out the formula. Yeah. Like, I think the best thing about what yeah. happened last week is that there's now a formula of bury the lead in your mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that are trying to find ways to have celebrities expose themselves. That's the formula. That's I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. It is, it's that simple, people. I don't know what's so hard. I don't, no, I don't so ever want to hear that story again. Oh <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, it's going to be archived in the Library of Congress on that episode. You know, so. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. In, in, in the podcasting room. It's it, yeah, it's real honor, real honor. <laughs> well, moving the show along, it is time for slices. All right, what do you have, Jesse? All right, I have one that is kind of it's kind of concerning because I didn't even know that something like this was necessary. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys saw this news. There is an organization in Boston that is like sort of like a tech think tank uh, about like tech ethics. They're called the Future of Life Institute. And they have got a bunch of, of really powerful people, like the people who run the Google's Deep Mind project, uh, Elon Musk, you know, people people in the field of technology that aren't just into some kind of signing some sort of novelty pledge. They've gotten all these CEOs to come together, 2,400 people who are groundbreaking innovators and entrepreneurs in the world of artificial intelligence and had them come together and pledge not to make killer robots. They literally got these people together (laughs) and say, hey, listen, (laughs) we're going to get it in writing right now that you're not planning on making killer robots so the the idea is that they're foreseeing a time when artificial intelligence is so yeah. advanced that you would Terminator. have machines capable of making moral and ethical yeah, decisions we know <laughs> yeah exa- robot, exactly you, named, so that, you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, 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 but here's the thing 
They're getting these people to sign. This is to sign this. This is no longer science fiction. It's a plausible, re, you know, future reality in our lifetime where basically what you have on Terminator, which is machines that can decide to to kill for military purposes that could also decide, well, why don't we just take over humanity? That's a plausible outcome of current technical innovation, so much so that the leaders of technology technology companies are signing this document to say, no, don't worry. We were we're we're not even but we're not gonna do insane. that. I wish they hadn't even done this document <laughs> because I wouldn't even think it was like that real real of a possibility that we had to I mean, let me commit you with this you though. Know? In the in the movies in all the movies, nobody ever sets out to create a murdering, a killer robot. That's you right. create That's a right. robot that can like think and feel and solve problems. And then the robot decides to become a killer robot of its own volition, technological volition. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's in, there's no point in this. This well, is just, oh, this, this is trying to hold back the tide with a broom. Or the yeah. other side of it is that the evil genius who didn't sign it knows that nobody else has killer robots. He creates oh his gosh, own killer robots. Right. And there's nothing stopping him. And then he dominates oh, the world. Awful. I mean, there's I, I've seen, awful thought. Yeah, I mean, I've seen enough Inspector Clouseau movies. Well, I actually read something. This was a while ago um, about a um, like a, a AI ethicist who says that the more you talk about AI ethics, that like it's morally wrong to do so. Because the more you talk about it, the more information out is out there on it, that the more that artificial intelligence, once they oh, get sure. closer to self-awareness, will be aware of the concerns and then exploit the concerns. So like this ethicist says, something like this is a terrible idea because it's drummed up so much publicity that it heightens the concerns that if you have artificial intelligence to become self-aware... They will then know, well, look, all these innovators are have legitimate concerns about this. Then that's something we can exploit. There's people on the other that, that are saying that case, too. Either outcome is terrifying that this is actually a future reality here. It's yeah, I, ha- I hate everything about the slice. I hate it. I, I, I mean, I, I think it's good that they're pledging, but it just seems <laughs> like this is accelerating pretty rapidly here. Yeah. You know? And like, do people really do what they say when they make pledges like that? Like, is that like. Who's going to hold them to that? Yeah, exactly. Did it plant ideas or did it make them actually promise to do something? Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. It's like, well, the, the people at Google, it's like, oh, maybe there's a pretty good government contract in here if right. this guy doesn't want us to do it. Yeah, sure. Sign away. <laughs> Jesse, do you remember exactly. the, the? I mean, back in 2010, we did a uh, pretty big piece in the magazine looking ahead at the coming decade. And, uh, you know, and kind of trends and kind of talked to experts and leaders in a number of fields, kind of like, like look down the road 10 years. And one of the ones we talked to is uh, Nigel Cameron, who's a bioethicist mm-hmm. and, uh, from Scotland. And he, he's a believer. And he was talking about the rapidity of how, like, how fast technology was about to accelerate in the area of artificial intelligence, 3D printing and stuff like that. And that the church and philosophers and ethicists like can't keep up. Like they're not talking enough about the moral implications of what's about to happen. And this is in 2010, looking at the next 10 years. And he was kind of saying like, by the time we get to 2020, this and this and this and this will be the case. And like what we will have to be wrestling with the reality of what is life. And then from a Christian context, like, 
if I can, you know, like, uh, you know, 3D printing, we can print food, biomatter, we can print body parts and, 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 and surgically graft them onto bodies. And those are living cells and stuff. So it's like, it's, it's, you know, medical field says that's miraculous. Like I can, somebody has a missing ear or has an amputation and they, you know, we can replace the ear or the nose or the, the arm or the whatever. And it's 3D printed. But like, at what point, like, is this, we are creating life, like physically, truly yeah. creating right. human life through artificial means and like the spirit realm and, you know, all that, like from a Christian context, like we are not talking about the, the not just the ethics, but like, like the worldview of like literally in the next five to 15 years, the church will have to grapple with living human creatures with artificial intelligence or that were created by man. And are those man created in the image of God yeah. or are they some sort of other thing? And the church isn't talking about this. And it's like right here staring yeah. at us because they talked about it at um, Q yeah. conference last year. It was one of the big talks was that the spiritual implications of AI. It's really interesting. Yeah. What well, did they yeah, say? And, and what's lots the takeaway? Of, and yeah, tell us the, too. Cut, well, cut yeah. to the chase. What's what's the what do we think? Um, I, you know the cool thing about Q is they don't give you a lot of answers. They more present the sure. in, the information. And so it was a an expert on AI talking about what it'll look like when robots are able to make decisions on their own. Like kind of how like if we ask them to do something, they can determine. Almost like even think about the little vacuum cleaners you have in your house. That the little rum, rumbas? Roombas, yeah. I'm not rich enough. I don't know. Roombas, Roombas yeah. yeah. One of those. It, it is deciding what it feels and which way to go based on what it feels, right? And so the conversation at Q is like, what do we do when, when robots, like Jesse's slice is talking about, when robots like that uh, are able to make their own ethical decisions? What is that going to mean for... Yeah humans and what does that mean spiritually and what does that mean does that mean they have a soul does that mean that they that they have the a, a decision maker in them that is needs salvation you know that that kind of conversation well th there's also the idea of like camera you're talking about like um artificial biology mm -hmm. essentially so like printing organs and you know uh, you, you could you could imagine a time where you can augment your physical body to operate differently for whatever reason you know so so basically like if you're creating you know artificial bodies and things like that like there's a famous thought experiment um like that if you had like a boat a, a big wooden ship and you had another ship behind it that was full of lumber. And as the boat's out at sea, you took off piece of the boat and replaced it with a new piece of lumber piece by piece. At what point is it a new boat or is it ever a new boat? If you replace oh, what sure. it's actually made out of, like what is the essence of a being, of a thing? And, you know, the thought experiment is, is the whole point of it is to try to make you think about that. But if you apply that to biology and at what point are you still the creation of God and not the creation of man. And, and, and also the, the ethics of, you know, uh, which is, I mean, obviously technology is there of, you know, manipulating, you know, genes in the womb, you know, to like yeah. you know, designer babies and stuff. Obviously right now there's not a cultural appetite to allow that, but it's possible. And it just yeah. takes a few people going, well, you know, ethically, we should prevent this child from having like Down syndrome or something. We can do that. Like, you know, now all of a sudden the question of, you know, made in the image of God and God has a plan and path and purpose for that life. And, you know, like we're just tweaking it the way we want it. Like, 
who's playing God. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, it's right there. I mean, the technology exists for all this, you know, it's yeah. like, I don't know, man. That's fascinating. And how much, yeah. How much of your body getting replaced by 3d printed biomatter makes you human or not? Like, I mean, that's, yeah. it's crazy. I think, I mean, but it, now y'all, I'm more simple than all of you. So I no, no, understanding no. that, but to me in my head, I think it, you can't, you can't change your brain. Well, well that, sure and, you can. Sure you can. I mean, you can't trade out a brain for a computer brain or for a, um, a not yet. Yeah, yeah, but the but, printed, but yeah. I mean, 3D printed. But brain. I mean, we're able at this point to manipulate yeah. brain chemistry with yeah. drugs, right? Like you can you can change someone's personality with yeah, with yeah. with drugs. That you know what I mean. Um, it's not that far, but, but, but when we do that, we never question whether they're still a human. No, no, or no, whether no, no. They're but, still but what about there? if you're not doing it with chemicals, but if you're doing it with nanoparticles with artificial cells, like, or like cells, I want to boost my intelligence so we can actually go in there. We know what part of the brain we add cells. We do the synapse. We do this, that, whatever they can absolutely do that. They don't, yeah. but the technology is there Or yeah. I want to be more kind or I wanted this. And I can actually just craft a personality in my child in the womb or something, I want them to go in and like make, make sure that they're smart and compassionate and athletic. Yeah. You know, like you just go ahead and tweak the that brain. That does not come as a trio, by the way. Oh. <laughs> you name three things that are literally not possible. <laughs> but, 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 but anyway, like, match.com to confirm. Yeah, 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 but, but that's the thing. Like, cause you can already, you can already change, you can already change brain chemistry chemically. Right. Like on the yeah, chemical level, you can change. But it's like I said, the, the the future of medicine isn't just chemistry. It's it's nanoparticles. It's tiny machines that look that your body thinks is cells that operates in a way that yeah. you can dictate, you know, like nanotechnology. I feel like a lot of people think is the is the wave of the like. So the benefit I mean, of we it had is, a listener of the week uh, three weeks ago who was a nanobiologist yeah. who was doing, you know, uh, mind control experimentation with mice. Yeah. I mean, or, or even like, you know, if you could inject yourself with something that it had cells that would hunt down like a cancer tumor. And, but that was its only task because that's what it was literally programmed to do because it's not a chemical. It's actually tiny machines like that. That future is here. Like that, that kind of thinking and the ethics behind it, it's really tough because you could think of a lot of scenarios where it, it could be used for really good. And then a lot of scenarios where it's like, well, I don't really know the morality of that, you know? And that's what Nigel Cameron was talking about back in 2010. Not only we need to be asking these questions, but he's like throughout human history, philosophers and ethicists and religious leaders kind of, you know, it, in time and over ages, you know, kind of like established moral code and things like that. He's like, it is happening so fast that in the next 10 years, like, like, culture won't be able to keep up with what's possible and what is actually happening. And, and it's going to like, it's almost like the cart will get in front of the horse, you know? Yeah. And, and like, we've already seen this go. We just sort of had no option, but to trust that Mark Zuckerberg was a basically good guy who wasn't going to do anything bad with our data. Right. And he did. And we had no, we didn't have any say in that. Nobody elected Mark Zuckerberg to be chief ethicist of how relationships work on the planet, but he, he became one. And now we're, we're learning that that came with a price tag attached to it. And that's only going to grow that's going to become only more and more of an issue. I mean, the good news is the price tag is $120 billion cheaper now. 
But, you can afford it. <laughs> but, but I mean, but you look yeah, at e- yeah. even in like Europe, different EU countries have something called the right to be forgotten, where like, let's say, especially in this era where people um, have done things that, you know, some for good, some for, you know, that is sort of mom mentality, but things that they've done or said or um, that will come up and use to be, to shame them. Um, you know, th- there are already countries that are allowing people to take legal measures to have that stuff removed from the internet that doesn't, that doesn't exist in this country. Like we're, we don't even know the moral questions with data, which is basically, um, you know, ones and zeros on physical files, much less, you know, you know, there's, it actually lives in a server somewhere, much less nanotechnology that manipulates biology. Yeah. Mm. All right. What do you have, Annie? Okay, so there is Jesse and I have been talking about this slice because there's so I many um, slices to it. Uh, this <laughs> the Daily Beast had a long, long form piece just come out about how an ex cop rigged the Monopoly McDonald's Monoc- Monopoly game and stole millions of dollars. Have y'all heard this what? yet? Yes. No, this story yes. is nuts. I, it's an incredible. Right, okay, when good, I was reading, good, good. I'm like, this is going to be option for a movie in a year from now. And in case you missed that item, is going to be, hey, yeah. remember that Monopoly slice we had a year ago? It's going to be made to a movie by Netflix. You know, <laughs> right? I mean, it is fascinating. It they the FBI caught on to this one guy, this one cop, and interviewed him and and realized that he had been stealing mcdonald's pieces and selling them blah blah blah. long story short but you should go read the long story because it's interesting and i I would love to hear y'all's thoughts tyler and jesse since you've read it as well but this guy jacobson he was it wasn't just that he was stealing for himself he ended up being the head of a sprawling network of mobsters psychics strip club owners convicts drug traffickers and even a family of mormons who falsely claimed more than $24 million in cash and prizes from McDonald's just from the monopoly. I, I don't understand game. how, what, how did, how did he bring it? What was the, he, the, he worked the, for, so McDonald's hired a, hired a third party agency to handle yeah. the printing of the stamps. He right. figured yes. out how like, but the security behind these was insane. But uh, again, long story short, it basically oceans, 11 ty- types of measures where he could yeah. sneak into the factory yeah. and switch out the winning stamps for fake ones. Um, and then use the winning stamps. You know, the, the, the interesting, uh, the, one of the elements of the story I thought was interesting, the second one he stole was a million dollar one and he sent it to a children's hospital. And it said, it, yeah. you know, like it was, a, he's an interesting, so he's Robin Hooding this thing. What's that? He was like, he was Robin Hooding this. I mean, he was like a Robin Hood situation, but also at strip the club owners. I mean, at the start, Cameron, he didn't Robin Hood it hard. He barely Robin Hooded yeah, it. Okay. With great power. You know, it's easy to start. You might start with like, oh, I'm a million dollars for the <laughs> but, children's share. A million yeah, but, but, but that gets to the heart of the story is he had a just his justification for it was that evidently at some point between the discussions with McDonald's and this third party agency, they felt like it would be better public relations if it was American customers that won all of these prizes. So there were no Canadian winners by intention. Like they, so he's saying, well, they're rigging the game. So why don't I just rig it? And that's what he did. He he ended up. And then he did stuff like Cameron, where he would give away a $10,000 ticket to a friend of his in exchange for all they, they had to pay him $2,000 of it. 
And so he was making, uh, so he would take that little tag, that instant win tag of $10,000 and give it to someone in exchange for $2,000. And he, so wouldn't have got how did away, he, he would have got away with it if it ha- if he hadn't have like started doing, selling these tickets uh, to people who ended up ratting him out. Yeah, that's right. A van full of yeah, wily teenagers. But it got me thinking. It got me thinking because I love heist stuff. I love heist stuff. Yeah. Right? And this is that's a, what this made is me think you would heist. like this slice. Yeah, this is, I this thought you would a, like this slice. It was a long, I mean, he was doing it for like years and years. It, it was a long con. Yeah. But, so like, but, it, but like, is it all the winners are in the same region? He was spreading it out around America. Okay. So for a while, they were all in Fort, Fort Lauderdale. Is that right? Jacksonville. They were all in Florida and they realized that that started looking scandalous. So they started shipping it out to other cities or, or like they would find ways. So like, let's say, cause his network of friends was in Jacksonville. What he would also do is like, I will send the, you know, give an address of a family member that lives in another part of the country. And he would like rig people. He would tell people to sign up for like out of state area codes. And the FBI eventually caught on to all of this so that, um, but but it went on for a really long time. I'm just I'm yeah. shocked. I mean he so he physically went into the printing press and took pieces. So so here's this. yeah. Apparently it was like a thing. Like they had one of McDonald over and over in the article. It talks about one of McDonald's biggest issues with the Monopoly game was employees and people on the inside stealing pieces. Right. And because they recognized that there were only a certain amount of winners and they would be able to see. And so, yeah, he would just take pieces from the factory. Yeah. Right? So, Jesse, so what, well, what happened initially was like whenever he had got the pieces from the fact. So he had no alone time with the pieces except for when they were like traveling. And because the pieces had to once they came off the press, they would be put in these certain sealed envelopes that came from another printer, like as another check. Right. So like these certain watermarked envelopes would have to go, the the pieces would have to go in these watermarked envelopes before being delivered to where they're being placed. That's like a separate check. And he was never alone with the pieces in the envelopes, right? But at one point, the printer of the envelopes accidentally, just a clerical error, sent him to his house, not to the, the workplace, a box of the watermarked envelopes, which he kept and so he could like keep one of those in his back pocket and he would say like when he was traveling he would use the restroom and that's when he would like make the switch it was it was insane layers of like thought and manipulation at every level yes. for him to win the, get keep these mcdonald's stamps and he was a pretty smart guy like i said it was end up someone was basically blackmailed him and ended up turning him in wow yeah crazy right well there you go Annie with the fascinating slice. That's a great slice. No, yeah. that was awesome. I'm Thanks glad you everybody. brought that. Yeah, I felt that great was, about it. That's a winner. I couldn't decide. I said to Jesse this morning, I was like, I mean, is this one too weird? And he was like, I have loved this story. Yeah, I read it over the weekend. <laughs> I was like captivated by it. Like, he was like, oh, this yeah. is this is the greatest, you know, long form. You got to go read the, so the, the, I think the whole thing is on the Daily Beast. Is there, are they the ones who broke the story? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, here's the other interesting facet. The trial, okay, his trial and his conviction, because they were like, you know, this story's been out there for a while, but no one's known about it. He was convicted on September 10th, 2001. So the news of the story broke the day before 9-11. And 9-11 happened and everybody forgot about the story. And it's been buried now for 19 years because obviously it's been out of the... It was in the news cycle for like the matter of hours. That's the other interesting part about this thing. Mm -hmm. Man. And I, I mean, I love that there are still some places like the Daily Beast that are writing really interesting long form articles. 
And, and I, so I, I still think that's such an uh, art you have to craft. Yeah. Y'all do it so well in the magazine too, Jesse. Y'all write these beautiful longer things, but online it's so rare that you get long form pieces that are really enjoyable to yeah. read all the way yeah. through. All right. What do you have, Tyler? This was, this was, this came across my feed and, and this is, I, I'm anxious to hear y'all's thoughts on this. What I'm going to read you is actually just a posted job description um, for a pastor. Uh, I'm not going to name the church here. I'm not trying to, to shame anybody, uh, but this is a, a church in Colorado and I'm just going to read verbatim the uh, post they put on churchstaffing.com for a new senior pastor. This church, name of the church, is looking for a pastor who teaches like Craig Groeschel or Andy Stanley or even a bit like Stephen Furtick. This offer is going to be nothing like any other church job post. Red flags right there. <laughs> Our city is asleep because the churches are asleep. People are hungry, but the spiritual food and the churches here are without flavor or life. The pastors are beautiful people and have heart, but we need some blockbuster sermons. When you watch a sermon from Craig Rochelle, Andy Stanley, or Stephen Furtick, you feel like you were fed. Why can't we have that in a church without playing the videos from the above pastors? Here is our concept. If a worship leader can take a song from Chris Tomlin and play it just like the album, and that is 100% accepted in the church, why can't you as a pastor copy word for word a sermon from Craig Rochelle? Oh, somebody hold me. <laughs> if, if we go on. Sure, sure. Add 10% of your own style to it, just like the band would. This concept would work great mixed with your own sermons about 20% of the time. Let's give blockbuster sermons to the people, proven messages <gasps> or hit sermons, then add 20% of your own sermons. If you connect with the concept, send us your resume. We'd love to talk with you. That's the job posting. I, Annie, I'm interested in your take because I, I got I, I have a take and it might be very different than yours, but I but, but your mouth is your mouth is a gape right Andy's now. Jaw is on the but, floor. but to, to, jaw, to be fair, Andy, Andy you are like a preacher. Goes. So as yeah. part of right. as this part is your of life, your, yeah. So what are your feelings about this job posting? Then I'll, I'm going to throw my hot take out there. Yeah, I have a feeling yours are a little bit different than mine, Jesse. <laughs> 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 I. I think that is one of the most fascinating things I've ever heard, Tyler Huckabee. I yeah. can't imagine. Uh, I, I am almost speechless at the idea that that is what a church would want. I I agree that those three preachers they listed are incredibly gifted. Good communicators. Sure. Yeah, they're great communicators. Also, they are doing the study and the life work to come up with those talks out of their own lives and out of their own study. Cameron, say something. Help well, me. our crack, our crack uh, fact checker, Mark Jackson, just showed me is he, he found the job listing that Tyler just wrote and there's an extra note at the end. And it said, we have everything needed for the church except the pastor. We have a great praise team. We have funds for advertising and more. Your salary is 90% of the tithes and offerings for one year to sustain you and we will pay all the bills. Years two, three, and four, you will get 50% of the tithes and offerings. It's a five-year contract. I, I am so, I am so offended from top to bottom. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm okay. so offended so, so, by the so whole are you, thing. Mark, you're really Johnny on the spot there with yeah. that. Uh, yeah, well done, Mark. You, you okay, okay. all right. Checker. So let, 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 I want to dig into this for a minute. We don't have to get too in the weeds here, but uh, okay. So aside, you don't, so... The the essentially what they're offering is a profit sharing model, but instead of profits, they're doing tithe sharing, right? So they're giving it's a, it's essentially like a sales commission model, but instead of sales commissions, it's a percentage of tithe. 
I can see assuming how that's that people give, Assuming that people give in relation to how much they enjoy a sermon that they know was not actually, that is a, a, a cover sermon, basically, yeah. of somebody sermon. else's work. Yeah, yeah but, but, but th- so I can understand, Jesus, I can the understand wheel. the Lord problematic element of the payment, but, but... I guess I got you're so far. I know. Go, Jesse. I, I guess know, my go. thing is like the open sourcing of the sermon. Right. Because that's essentially what it is. Right. Um, well, it's intellectual yeah. property theft. Right. But 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 right. but should. But I guess my question is this. Should sermons be intellectual property? Because it's not it's not because most intellectual property exists in the for profit. Like, you know, you're consuming media that was made with the intention of generating revenue, right? Like I paid money to go see a movie I, or a ticket to see a concert or a, you know, or an ad was, you know, placed on this in exchange for payment is a sermon. And again, I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying for the sake of the discussion is a sermon materially different because the intention of the sermon is materially different. I mean, I, my understanding, and I could be wrong, is like back in the day, like, you know, like Jonathan Edwards would preach a famous sermon, like Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Yeah. And he would, it's written, you know, they, they would preach that way back in the 1700s, 1800s. And, and then he would preach that several places. Obviously, you know, modern preachers do the same thing. I mean, they, they'll speak at a number of conferences. Right, they yeah. do the same talk. Yeah. yeah. But then like, I thought like Jonathan Edwards sermons like then got shared and distributed and that other pastors and preachers at the fledgling churches in the colonial times, like would then preach the Jonathan Edwards sermon to their little congregation because it had more theological it, substance than what they could have okay, done on their okay. own. But if someone was like, Hey, today this sermon, I'm preaching, I'm preaching a, a Craig Rochelle sermon and I launched yeah. into it. If they gave, if they credited who, you know, came up with it, it, is it different than what like worship teams do? That's significantly different to me. If you stand up and you say, what I'm about to tell you for the next 22 minutes is what Craig Rochelle wrote and preached on July 5th, yeah. 2017. That is, I don't think it's a good idea. It's I actually still, think it's, it's a, terrible a terrible idea. idea, but yeah, at least it's ethical. But I, I think that I can hear that more than just assuming what you're hearing is me. Yeah. Take it. And the tithing part, yeah. that yeah. is, the tithing part is going to get you. Listen, dear church in Colorado, I love you. And I think highly of the local church. I think it's the hope of the world. You're going to get struck by lightning. <laughs> that is not how tithing goes. That is not what God. And I, 90%. And listen, I'm, I'm going to get struck by lightning, but that's not what God intends. I'm like about to stand up out of my chair. Do y'all see me? I like oh, no, can't I, even I'm, stay no, seated. I'm, I'm glad you're. I'm glad hey, you're on board. That, that's uh, yeah. that's fiery. The crazy that's, thing to me is I'm like so we're, we're asking you to not work during the week because you've got the sermons already written for you, but you're going to get ninety percent of the tithes. Like I don't understand. That is a perform. What they are saying is, we want to see how much of your performance gets tips. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's what they are yeah, wanting. Yeah. They want they. Oh, it's a well, commission well, based. Well, 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 I, I don't know. I don't want to give too much away for the next issue, but um, yeah. we have an interview with Francis Chan in the upcoming issue yeah. of the magazine that I feel yeah. like that is very challenging. Really addresses. Yeah, this. and and Does well, it? he 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 makes a case for. Um, I'm just trying to think of the right word, uh, the, for like non-vocational ministry that people not who are, vocational, who are, but non-vocational, that, that like there are no such things who are not like, 
He's not saying you shouldn't have professional pastors, but he said there should also be non-professional pastors. Yeah, he like, just said, like, yes. if we want to look at the actual biblical model of the church, I mean, again, that was a very different culture and, you know, time, obviously. But Which is how I feel about your Jonathan Edwards thoughts. Yeah, yeah, no, ahead. that's right. No, I wasn't. Hey, I'm not advocating. I was just saying... You know, devil's I think you advocate. Need to quit advocating for that, but but but, 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 but if someone no, credited it though, it's no. I just yeah, I don't yeah. I don't think it's sure. I think it's sloppy and just uh, that's dumb. But 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 Francis Chan was saying like you know if you look at the biblical model of the church, it was small gatherings, uh, met in homes, ten twelve people, and the people who led the gatherings weren't like professional pastors, yeah. so they they worked like anybody else. And so he talks about his faith community that he's in now do, that they do that, that yeah. none of the pastors are, are paid. And that if uh, a gathering gets more than 12 people, they split off to another yeah. one. So. Okay. Let me, can I say one more thing? Sure. I just need to say one more yeah. thing about this. Yeah. Here's what is true. I am super involved in the teaching team at my local church. I also travel and speak at other churches on Sunday mornings frequently. So I see both sides of that world. Here's what is true. Your local church what they need on Sunday is not necessarily what Craig Groeschel preached last Sunday. Yeah. When what most pastors are doing really well and really beautifully is they know their community and they are preaching what their community needs. It does not need to be a performance. It does not need to be the very best talk they've ever heard. It needs to be what the community in your town needs to go out and share Jesus with their neighbors that will then bring their their neighbors into that church. Forget the tithing, forget the recorded other sermons and you're copying them and even forget the Chris Tomlin songs, do what your community needs, do what your church family needs to see and experience Jesus in the community you live in. And that will change things and that will change your community. And then your preacher will be great because the Holy Spirit will be doing what the Holy Spirit needs to do in your community. Good night. The the awkward part about it is like, let's say someone does it. The personal anecdotes in the sermons, because that's what makes a lot of those guys like stand out, you know? So it's like, so listen, I was at Craig Groeschel's kids baseball game. Just stick with me here. Something really powerful happened. And I know, I think also this Colorado church is probably literally doing what they think is a really good idea. Like, like no one sat down and thought they're not being schemers. They, someone, a community decided this was the right idea. A committee decided it was the right idea. It's just not. So they're wrong, but. It's I support so, them for trying. It, it's crazy. And then you look at the worship parallel and it's not, I mean, from if you, again, it's crazy. I'm not on board with this at yeah, all. Yeah, but, but worship but, music has always been shared across churches yeah, too. Yeah, but, I mean, but, that's why the, but, but, but I guess exist. my thing is like, what's the difference? Well, there aren't personal anecdotes in songs for starters. Well, to go so, back there to are your, for some. I mean, a lot of the, I, I mean, I'm just I'm playing the devil's advocate here for for a bit, yeah, but yeah. but I do I feel like a lot of songs that are written are based on personal people's personal experiences. I mean, you talk yeah. to a lot of worship leaders and be like, I mean, like you talk to uh, like you know Corey Asbury with Reckless Love. You know, it came out of experience. But people with write, but people write songs intending them to be corporately. With the understanding song. that these are going to be shared. These are this is yeah. For I mean, back experience. to the early church and then hymns and stuff. I mean, like there was a song written that then spread throughout the Big C Church. You know, yeah. I mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I, I just don't, I just don't think a, the parallel is, historical. is other than precedent. Is there is a there is a parallel, absolutely, but there is a historical precedent that that churches share, you know, participate in congregational worship that is more global, you know, yes. or national. Yes, the teaching and the worship are two very different things on a Sunday morning. Yeah. It is okay. So the other person on the stage on, on most Sunday mornings are is the person doing the announcements. Why in the world would I do the hosting at Crosspoint the exact same way that Craig Groeschel's 
person who does the hosting does it on Sunday morning. Why in the world would I make the exact same announcements they make? It's different because we're two different communities. We have different announcements we need than a church in Oklahoma or a church in Colorado. So they need different sermons too. I got to stop. Yeah, I, no. I, I get, I, but but there, do you think it's ever appropriate? Like, let's say there was a sermon that, like, let's say there's a national issue, right? That that it, it, it's like the church needs to address this, and somebody at some church that was a pastor didn't just a sermon that's like, you know what? That was awesome. That was exactly yeah. that spoke to this time. Would that be appropriate? And I think there are may may maybe I think well, there are denominations quote. that people start with similar outlines or they're all going to use the same scriptures. And I know there's a church in Nashville that they each campus has a different preacher every Sunday, but they kind of build the outline together. Yeah. I think that's really, really different than 80 percent of your sermons being listening to other pastors, <laughs> yeah. taking that message and bringing it in. But, yeah, Jesse, I can see in a national conversation that happens and someone preaches down a line that's yeah. really beautiful and and helpful and nationally we go okay i'm gonna take that little piece of that and tell you why that's true but here's why that's true for our family and for our right. house and our community there you go localize it okay all right well that'll do it for slices stay tuned up next Derek Miner joins oh, yes. us. I was right in the middle of a job application. What were you saying, Cameron? I just, I just got to finish with one part. 90% of the time. Fuck, you got me so heated, bud. They don't say how big the church is. It might be six people, but you know. Yeah, but you get 90% of the time, so I hope you can live off of 48 bucks. <laughs> I'm done with building these castles that crumble like sand. Till I Found You by Phil Wickham. His new album, Living Hope, releases today. Go get it. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Maggie Rogers, a former Relevant cover artist, with her new single, Give a Little. This week's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. I've been using Squarespace for years, long before they sponsored the show, and it is so easy to make a great website. When you sign up for a year of Squarespace, you'll receive a custom domain for free. You can even design a best-in-class online store with Squarespace's award-winning templates, customizable settings, and more, all without a single plugin. Uh, For the store, they include all the tools you need to even track inventory, process orders, and send custom emails with one intuitive interface. It's called Squarespace Commerce, and allows you to understand every aspect of your business. Well, right now, Squarespace is offering Relevant podcast listeners a special deal. You can go to squarespace.com slash relevant for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your site, use the offer code relevant to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. We love it when you guys tell us that you do that. I mean, I yeah. can't, uh, countless websites have been built using the promo code relevant. It's awesome. I've used the promo code relevant to save 10% on Squarespace sites. Uh, Squarespace, set your website apart. 
Rapper Derek Miner recently stopped by the new Relevant studio for a wide-ranging conversation about the state of Christian hip-hop, the importance of addressing social issues in his music, and why he doesn't feel the need to play it safe, even as a Christian artist. He's also just released five new singles off his upcoming album, The Trap, which is available for pre-order now. It'll release August 10th. Here is our conversation with Derek Miner. Welcome to the revolution. Welcome to the revolution. They've been looking for the blueprint. You can get it here exclusive. Welcome to the revolution. They've been looking for the blueprint. You can get it here exclusive. What I want to know is in the last two to three years of hip hop from the faith perspective, what trends have you noticed? What changes have you noticed in the past maybe two, three years? Oh, that's interesting. I don't see any trends. I think that's the crazy part. It's about with music in general, there's no rules. I think everybody's just trying to figure it out. It's like, what do you do? Do you drop four or seven projects, four or seven song projects in a month like Kanye? Or do you do a double disc album like Drake? You know what I'm saying? There's just, everyone is trying, I think everyone has figured out that content is key, but how do you deliver the content is, you know, no one really knows. So, you know, you got major labels stepping in now. They're trying to figure it out. But, you know, I, I think right now this is, but that's a, it's the perfect time. If you're uh, a Christian that want to do, that wants to do art, like this is the perfect time to get in because no one knows what they're doing. Everyone's just trying to figure <laughs> it out. So if you figure it out, then, you know, I mean, you're the man, you know? So, so for us, um, I've just we're, just, we're just experimenting, man. I just wanna see you win. We can't take no else this year, nah, it's not in the plan. You don't understand, I just wanna see you win. If they ain't with the squad, then just leave them in the stands. You don't understand, I just wanna see you win. We just take our hustle and on top is where we land. You don't understand, I just wanna see you win. With RMG, us being indies, that allows us to have a degree of flexibility that, and take more risks than, you know, certain others. Yeah, you know, aren't able to do. We can just say, I can say, all right, we'll do four projects and in a year, or I can say, oh, I'm just gonna do one long. Part. It doesn't matter, you know. There's yeah. no rules, you know. There's everyone is trying to figure it out. You know, for me, I've been on this this journey of um, uh, a four project series. So the first one I dropped in September was just So Must Fly. The second one I dropped was High Above, and then coming in August, I'm dropping a project called The Trap, August right. 10th and then by any means drops sometime in the year. And originally, I was gonna do it every month. But then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna spread it out a little bit more and let it breathe. So that's some of the risk though. I think that was kinda, I was one of the first guys to really start saying, I'm gonna do the series thing. Yeah. Um, and then now more people are doing that because they're trying to, everyone's trying to you know, figure out what's the best way to deliver content to people and what's digestible. Of course, I ain't gotta worry about a thing anymore. I just Yeah, of course, with a kind of thorns feeling like a king. Yeah, of course, made it out the bottom. Of course, I ain't gotta worry about a thing anymore. I just Yeah. Christian music has always been sort of like a retirement home for for music, I think. And I, okay. What I mean by that is Yeah. When you look at any other market, they at any other product, most other products, you know, toothpaste, coffee, beer, cigarettes, whatever. I want to get you when you're 16, 17, 18, thinking about our product, and then I grab you then, and then I have you for the rest of my life. Right. Christian music is different. Their model is built around marketing to a 40, 50-year-old soccer mom. 
And and so they're like, hey, after you've done all of that, had all your all your fun or whatever, then whenever you need music to play in a car that's safe for your kids, yeah, then you oh can listen to us. Like that's been the strategy for the past, you know, 40, 50 years. Here's the problem now. The problem is music is a tech industry now and it's individualized now. So now mom's playlist and son's playlist on Spotify is totally different. Right. And now kids aren't forced to sit in the car and listen to what mom likes because we all have our earphones. We have a Spotify or Apple Music family plan. Right. And now the kids, you know, they're listening to what they want to listen to and the parents are listening to what they want to listen to. So that means in the past, Christian's whole thing was, well, we're the safe version of this, yeah. safe version of that. And there was a little bit of pressure for the kids to kind of have to conform to that. But now since everyone's in their own earpods, the kids just listen to what they want to listen to. Right. So now that kind of strategy that really has built, has sustained Christian music for the past, you know, 30, 40 years, it's not really viable anymore. Right. You have to compete actually. And um, that's, I think that's causing a recession in this space. Okay. You know? on top of with America becoming more and more post-Christian or yeah. more liberal in yeah. a sense, not really conservative, Southern Baptist Christian. So now what do you do with that? Because that youth group is shrinking and then they're they're spending less dollars to bring out the, the Christian version of whoever. So right. um, it's, like I said, this whoever can figure this out in this space, <laughs> it's gonna be great. It's not, it's not doom and gloom, it's just opportunities, you know what I mean? Most of my kin, dead of the pen That's why I'm an Eskimo, I bought an igloo and put on my wrist Ran out of option, we gotta survive, so we taking risks Committed sin, we gotta live, it is what it is Red down on your white tee, it look like Japan They're 40 years on me and if I get high, they blow like a fan They talk about the hood like they know the answer but never been in Committed sin, we gotta live, it is what it is that was Derek Minor. Make sure to go pre-order his album, The Trap. It'll release August 10th. I, I'm a fan of Derek Minor, but I'm going to say, don't do it. It's a trap. He's literally telling you. <laughs> He's literally saying, sounds like a trap. This is the trap. <laughs> going to take the credit card. I don't know. It sounds like a trap. <laughs> He's being literal. Don't pre-order it. It is a trap. <laughs> Blood Orange, a new single, Charcoal Baby. Well, a little behind the scenes here, you guys need to know um, uh, our very own Annie F. Downs. You know, she's very in demand. She's real mm-hmm. hot right now. And she had places to go, people to see, and she had to step away 
from this last segment. Of the she's show, actually so. she's right now she is on stage preaching a really good <laughs> Stephen Furtick sermon. Bringing the house down. <laughs> so uh, Annie will not be joining us for this segment, but through the miracle of technology, when we all close the show, you might just hear a surprise. So. Um, Anyway, it's time for our Listener of the Week. You listen to the show, and it's time to get to know you. It's the Listener of the Week. Well, this week, our our Listener of the Week is Kenny Reinbold. Welcome to the show, Kenny. Thank you. Uh, Kenny, where are you uh, calling us from? I'm in Oklahoma City. There you go. Well, uh, what what do you do there in Oklahoma City professionally? Uh, I work for a staffing company in, uh, in Oklahoma City, uh, I work in the marketing department. So marketing. we're a, a franchise staffing company. We've got offices all across North America. And so I work for our headquarters doing marketing. So you are at work right now because this is the middle of the workday. Are you on your lunch break? I am at work, uh, sort of on a lunch break. I'm about to take a lunch break after I get done with you guys. Yeah. Hmm. Nice. Nice. So like are, you on the, that, are you technically hey, like on the clock right now? Because, you know, integrity is what you do when nobody's looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I got the okay from my manager. Hey, to do but this, think about so. all the marketing exposure he just got for his company. Like well, this is he's playing it smart. You should take the rest of the afternoon off, Kenny. I like the cut of your jib, sir. <laughs> Kenny, I got a question for you, man. Did you yeah. listen to the podcast last week? I, I did. I I feel like I, I don't know that I can live up to the uh, yeah. Dennis Rodman sized expectations. Do you, do you know, do you know, no do you know <laughs> the amount of pressure that is resting on your shoulders right now? I do. I, I don't know that I can handle it. I'll try though. All right. So okay. Jesse, when you, when you saw Kenny's three facts, uh, they caught your eye for a reason. Yeah. So why don't you tell yeah. us what, what Kenny Reinbold's three facts are? All right, Kenny, let's start with, <laughs> let's start with this one. You got into a shoving league match at a minor league baseball mat with a minor league baseball mascot while dress dressed as a YMCA mascot. First off, I had no idea the YMCA had a mascot. Was it? uh, Please tell me their mascot is like five people doing the village people. (laughs) Because if those five dudes showed up, like, oh, this is obviously something for the YMCA. Is that what the YMCA mascot is? No, it is literally just a giant Y with two arms and two feet. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. see that. They can do better than that. that like a, that yeah, could be like a really nice opportunity. budget or what, but. Hey, well, Kenny, yeah. let me ask you this. When you ran onto the field dressed as the giant Y, did the YMCA song play? <laughs> well, I no, it didn't play, but I wasn't, uh, I wasn't on a field. I was actually at a health and wellness ex- in downtown Oakland City, uh, taking pictures, hanging out with kids. It's pretty easy for the most part. It's hard to see uh, being a mascot, and there wasn't uh, a lot of movement available with my arms and legs uh, in this giant Y. But this minor league baseball team that we have here in Oklahoma City, uh, at the time they were called the Red Hawks. Um, they had a mascot that was a Red Hawks. So it was a bird. And I don't know if it was a guy or a girl, or what but they came over and we were taking pictures with kids the kids were real excited and all of a sudden this bird i don't know if i did something to offend the mascot or what <laughs> but it kind of shoved me away from the kids that were wanting to take pictures with us and yeah maybe he was jealous up thinking well maybe it was just on accident uh and they shoved me again and so i this was before I got saved, so obviously I may not have done this uh, after Christ came into my life. But uh, I, I shoved him back, and we got into a little uh, little 
pushing match and I didn't have great balance. I didn't fall over, but I couldn't, I couldn't take them on because I didn't have a lot of um, vision or motion with this, with this mascot. <laughs> okay. So, so, so you were, you were humiliated by Red Hawk at this minor league event. Um, yes. At your wedding ceremony though, there was a flash mob. How did it, did you, were you aware that this was going to happen? What's the, what's the story here? Yeah, I was not. Uh, my wife is a musical theater uh, actress and uh, a few months before we got married, she was in a production of all shook up, which is a musical that is uh, only Elvis Presley songs. Okay. And so at our wedding, she knows I, I grew up listening to uh, music by Elvis. And uh, so at one point during our ceremony, it was, uh, I think it was the, the prayer after we exchanged vows, kind of the time where everybody's just hanging out and we're just, looking at each other. And all of a sudden uh, there was one person that got up from my side of, you know, like the groom side of the, the uh, church and started singing, uh, can't help falling in love with you. And then one person, another person popped up and then another person popped up. And then eventually she had, she had worked with people that she was in this musical with and plotted them around the, the sanctuary. And there were probably 10 or 15 people that just started singing, uh, can't help falling in love with you during the ceremony. And I was completely surprised. Uh, and so, yeah, it was just, it was really cool. It was uh, like a, a little flash mob. That's really sweet. That's a really nice. That's that you know, you, know, you should have done. You should have done. You should have stop this. Stop this now. I didn't know about this. This is my wedding. And, and, and kick the flash mobbers out. That's what you should have done. And uh, you, yeah, I probably should have. I think they would appreciate. I think your wife would have appreciated the, you know, real sense of, uh, uh, you know, power that she yeah. saw right there. Just as yeah. a maniac. For sure. I'm sure. Yeah. It was setting up think, for I think, future I think success. Everyone would have been impressed. You missed a real opportunity to get some <laughs> dignity back after being bested by a guy in a hawk costume. Kenny. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm putting some pieces here, but finally I, okay. I, I hope, I hope this one, Kenny, um, you know, th- this is an opportunity for you to stand up against a wild beast too. You, no. <laughs> your foot was stepped on by a horse at a Dan Quayle event. I didn't know Dan Quayle was still having events. That's you could have said Dan Quayle event, and I would just been like, "Oh, that's a pretty good, that's a great story." <laughs> Dan Quayle's having events right now. <laughs> that's a thing. Just, just it's Dan Quayle event. Oh, cool. That's not a story, but just Dan Quayle events. Interesting. Okay, yeah, but yeah, there was a Dan Quayle event that. Dan for some reason, um, a horse, a police horse was at, and you got close enough that stepped on your foot. What happened? What was this event about? Yeah. So I was, uh, it was probably when I was five or six, it would have been around the time that he would have been campaigning with the first president Bush. Uh, I was living in H-O-B. just outside of Sacramento, California at the time. And my family wanted to go. He was making a campaign stop. And so they wanted to go see him speak. And, Uh, I remember being outside and I don't know why this police horse was so close to the crowd or what, maybe it just wandered up near me. I'm not sure. Um, But I remember looking up and thinking how just massive this horse looked. Of course I was five or six. So yeah. um, So you're a five or six and you're out in the heart of, leftist California Hollywood (laughs) just down the highway at a Dan Quayle event. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so, um, 
So yeah, this horse comes up and I remember petting it and thinking it was really cool. And then I don't know if we got spooked or what happened, but it turned and stepped right on my left foot and, uh, ripped basically <laughs> most of my pinky toenail off, oh. uh, a bunch of skin. I, yeah, I had just blood everywhere and, uh, I have honestly been afraid of horses ever since then. I rode on a horse later on, did not enjoy it. Uh, it was not a comfortable experience, but yeah. So, uh, a horse stepped on my foot and, uh, I don't know how I didn't break it, but it, it was certainly painful. Here's, here's, here's my question. If that happens, can you sue the police department or <laughs> <Daniel Bale? laughs> oh, someone's yeah. liable and it's not you, you're a five-year-old, yeah. right. you know, someone's responsible for that broken toe. Yeah. I don't know. I wish my family would have pursued it. Uh, Kenny, have you ever been in a hotel room with a celebrity that was changing clothes? (laughs) 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 I have not. I'm really sorry. I I mean, I'm not sorry for myself, but uh, no, I have not. (laughs) Are you? you, Yeah. Are you an Oklahoma City Thunder fan? I am. Yeah. Okay. Good luck. Good luck. Just curious. Just curious. <laughs> just okay, okay. just, just chit chat. Just good, good to know. Yeah. Congrats yeah. on Paul George. Good move for you. All right. Well, thanks for excited, uh, yeah. thanks for being our listener of the week, there, Kenny. Um, sorry, sorry about your foot. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, if you want to be a listener of the week uh, in a future episode, hit us up on Twitter and tell us three interesting facts about yourself. And you know, uh, you can uh, always also do little things to try and get Jesse's attention. If you've, you know, there was, there, there was a, there've been a, there've been hundreds that have come through. And if we haven't picked you and you really think you got what it takes, re- retweet it. Like, let us yep. see it again. We have, yeah. you know, bring it to the top of the pile. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Do that bump thing that people do for emails sometimes, you know? Or yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Per my earlier email. <laughs> don't know favorite. if you saw don't know if you saw this but okay just be pat don't be passive graphics just resend it say please answer this <laughs> oh, man. well many thanks to uh derek minor for joining us uh remember the trap is available for pre-order now jesse jesse's warning you though uh it, you can it, also it, he it's this is a confession it is a trap so <laughs> i would use not your real credit card that's all i'm <laughs> <laughs> you can also Not follow very good Derek on Twitter at the Derek Minor. Um, also, remember Phil Wickham's new album, Living Hope, releases today. Uh, we played it early in the show. Really like yeah. it. Uh, thanks to Squarespace for making the episode possible. You can go to squarespace.com slash relevant for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your site, use the offer code relevant to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey, if, uh, a little housekeeping note before we wrap it. Uh, just updated the uh, job openings page are relevant. If you are in sales, um, especially in sales, uh, check it out. We've got some good opportunities here at the old media company. And let's, hey, people should get the mag because not only are this the, the, the issue right now incredible with Leon Bridges on the cover, you heard from um, Ethan Hawk, who's in the magazine uh, oh, last yep. week. You'll also get the one that we're, we're sending to the printer. Uh, very soon that I think people are, are also going to be really excited about reading. The September issue of, of Relevant is uh, definitely one that we're excited to tell you about. Uh, yeah. We're going to try and bite our tongues for a couple more weeks. But if you subscribe now over at relevantmagazine.com, there is a great deal going on. Uh, just trust me, an unprecedented price. Uh, and if you uh, act quickly, you will get uh, the September issue as part of the subscription. And, and I'm going to sweeten the deal right here. Three links 
to three incredible Craig Groeschel sermons. It's going to knock your socks off. <laughs> so, a little sweeten the pot a little. All right. On that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Annie F. Downs. Oh, there it is. Did you hear it? Technology. How do we do it? We'll see you on Wednesday. For listening to the relevant podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from the relevant podcast network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. So listen, I was at Craig Groeschel's kids baseball game. Just stick with me here. Something really powerful happened. Relevant Podcast Network.